Hey guys, Henning and Morten from Flip Normals here. And in this video, we're gonna talk about how to become a better 3D artist. Sort of a follow-up to other videos we've done in the past, mm. which you may or may not have seen slash listened to. So it's just sort of our take on what steps you can take in order to improve. Yeah. This, this is meant for like pretty much all levels of 3D artists, but particularly if you're a beginner as well. Mm. Just how to get a how to get a solid foundation on on essentially becoming good in 3D. We're not going to be talking too much about specifics. We're not going to be talking about, oh, you need to learn polygonal modeling versus. It's more big general strokes here. Yeah. So the very first thing we want to talk about here is the fundamentals of art. They are really essential to learn. And by, by fundamentals, we're talking about stuff like uh, uh, composition and general design, anatomy, color theory, how light works, all these kind of things here. Like if you were to learn um, the, the fundamentals of, uh, of how light works 20 years ago, they're still the same. Light yeah. behaves in the exact same way, hopefully, <laughs> unless something has drastically changed in <laughs> physics since uh, mid-90s. They work in pretty much the same way as, as it did back then. But the software has changed. Yeah. If you use the most cutting-edge rendering software in the late 90s, pretty much nothing of that is relevant today. It was all cheats and all, like, the craziest hacks in the world. <laughs> well, today we just kind of go PBR, uh, and enable GI, and just kind of looks good. Yeah, we probably have the same render times, though. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> because do. Because we enable all those things. Yeah, if they haven't in increased. But I think it's important with a lot of these sort of different professions you can borrow from mm. to, to excel. And it's not just for for people who want to do characters and creatures. You know, I can think about, you have people who want to do, want to do lighting, understanding mm. the fundamentals of, well, obviously lighting, but also color theory. People who just want to make uh, effects in Houdini, mm. you know, understanding color and design, like how to how to really art direct your your effects, can be super important as well. It's gonna be so important. So it can be applied. It can be applied to many things. Maybe not if you're doing rigging. I don't know. But <laughs> maybe maybe you make some cool controllers or something. Well, uh, one of the foundation of rigging would be anatomy. That's very true. That's so, very true. And and we're going more towards uh, like muscle systems and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like what I think is important is that if you are purely a technician. That is like being in a factory some years ago, like fifty years ago, where you can you can operate the machinery. Mm. If you if you can only operate Maya, you're just a Maya technician essentially. Uh, the robots are coming. The robots are coming. <laughs> this is not like a this is not that video. <laughs> we'll do another scaremongering video in the future. <laughs> but uh, it's just that you just gotta be prepared for when stuff updates. So let's say no automation happens. You know, we're still gonna in twenty years. We're not gonna be using Maya twenty eighteen. We're gonna be using new software. If you if you don't learn the fundamentals here, you're always just gonna be learning software, yeah. and you're always just relying on technology. So let's say take lighting as an example here. If you know traditional lighting, like proper cinematography, you can make beautiful shots. Mm. But if you can only use the software, you're just gonna be putting up an aerialized an IBL, and you're just calling it a day here. Yeah, you can't really improve upon it. Like that was something that we did a lot for the lighting scene is there was a lot of research done in just traditional lighting. Like mm. I, so I've, I've been, you know, what do you say? Taking pictures, I guess, but you know, <laughs> what? I've had a camera, like a nice DSLR camera for the last 10 years. Mm. And that's really, that alone has helped me understand light and composition in a very, very good way. It's, it's, it's not that it's easy, but having a camera where you sort of like, like when you just look at real life, 
you just you take in everything. It's kind of hard to compose things. Mm. But when you look through like a square, you're mm. like, okay, this is the frame that I'll be shooting now. It helps you to understand how to frame things to make it look nicer and yeah. why certain things look nice in which kind of lighting situations. So that helped a lot when building the lighting scene. For sure. Because then, you know, you start to understand, okay, if I have a bounce light here or if I have a fill light here, it would react like this. Yeah. Reflector plates, all that stuff. Very, very relevant stuff. And CG is moving way towards towards uh, real life compared to like abstract CG principles here. Mm. When you're lighting a shot now, like Martin's saying, you're pretty much using traditional things here. Yeah. I remember when... Uh, Early in my career, now we were talking about. Uh, I was at a studio, and um, they were talking about how they were they were lighting a shot. It was a talk they were presenting, and they actually had a really hard time lighting the shot. They couldn't just couldn't get it to, to work right. So what they would do, they would contact. Uh, I think it was the main cinematographer of the movie, or or the, the director of photography for the movie, and being like, "How would you light this shot in real life?" Mm. And they were like, "I would put up lights here and here and here," and they were like. That's a really good idea. <laughs> so, and they lit that shot based on those techniques. Because yeah. if you just get too bogged down by the technical specifications of it, it's really hard to look at the big picture. So, really, just get that right. Yeah. By fundamentals again, color theory. Learn how photography how photography works. Basic understanding of anatomy. All these kind of things here. Just learn everything. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think I've, one of the things that has helped me the most, I think, is anatomy and, and color theory. Yeah. Those two things. It's just personally, those are the two things I found to be the most interesting, yeah. and that I get the most joy out of sort of exploring and and trying to trying to practice. Because yeah. anatomy is such a vast vast thing. It's like just a pit. <laughs> it's never ending. It's never ending because. There's variation with everything. Every kind of animal that exists or can exist, it it all relies on anatomy. It's slightly different. Obviously, it borrows from mostly the same things. Mm. But once you start to get an understanding, like a proper understanding of that, I think that's when you can start to play around with it. Mm. And that's when you get more believable creatures, creatures that are just grounded in real life, I think. Yeah. that That's really fun for me. Yeah, and same with color theory. Uh, I think in the beginning, if you sort of like, if you're painting or you want to do some colors, you go like, okay, so sky's blue. There we go. Grass is green, <laughs> and there we go. Mm. But I think one of the biggest sort of I had like I think I had two big revelations when it came to color theory for me was the power of gray. Like what? How gray can affect the surrounding colors? It blows my mind completely. Like, so, like if you have gray next to orange, gray will look blue by comparison. And you will actually believe it is blue, and you have to color pick it to yeah. see. You can even make it. It can even be like very desaturated orange, and it can still look blue. And you're like, this is looks blue, and you're like, it's actually orange. Yeah. Like it blows my mind. So the sort, the, the sort of, um, I don't know, the abilities of colors. To trick your mind, yeah. depending on on the context, right? Yeah. But gray sounds super boring. <laughs> gray is like the most powerful color, but I love gray. It's that one was a really big revelation for me. And then the other thing was um, like uh, complementary colors mm. in the shadows, like basically having so whatever whatever light source you have. Let's say you have a red light source, your shadows are going to be green. Mm. Don't don't ask me how that works. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it's like it blows my mind. Yeah. And 
being able to utilize those Let's say you're setting up a lighting lighting shot and you want to do something super cool. You have you have some red light and your shadows will have this green tint to them. You can exaggerate that by then adding a complementary mm. light which is green to the other side to sort of really emphasize that effect and really, you know, make it look even more crazy. So mm. knowing these things and how to manipulate it to make it look better than real life or crazier than real life, I think that's really important. What Morten is talking about here with the gray, gray stuff is 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 absolutely mind blowing. I I only learned that when I did traditional painting mm. for like two days. <laughs> we we had we had a class in school. I absolutely hated doing it, but it was it was one of the most useful things I've ever done. Mm. Like in in terms of just pure color. Like after that, you're looking at the sky and you're like, there are so many shades yeah. in the sky. Like we were going around like the biggest stoners. There was <laughs> just like, for dude. yeah, well, so many colors. <laughs> You should try to look at a sunset mm. and then try to try to actually observe it. Like try to guess the colors, then take a picture and then color pick yeah. it. That's a really good exercise yeah. because you'll be a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> like I'm yeah. so I'm really amazed by how many times blue in the sky is just is more gray mm. than it is actual blue, just yeah. because of of you know what it sits next to. Yeah. It's interesting as well with like talking about these fundamentals things. One of the things was actually most useful for me was learning about how to compose an image. Because mm. I use that for, surprisingly enough, character designs. Because when you're composing an image, it's all about where do you look in this character here? Like, how do you have, how do you complement shapes? Do you have a bunch of uh, hard shapes next to soft shapes? Like, how do you balance all these things out? And this is still incredibly hard to do because it's, it's essentially designed on almost an abstract level here. But I use that every single time I'm designing characters. Just really going back to basics here. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Because you can have... I think we've we've probably touched on that multiple times, I would imagine. Because it sounds like something we would talk about a lot. <laughs> but, like, when you have... Let's say you have Godzilla, right? Mm -hmm. From Let's say we take the new Godzilla film. Mm -hmm. Which is silly. Um, <laughs> it's like... It's, it's like... So you have... Let's say you have a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is all the detail in the world and 0 is no detail. Mm. Godzilla is 10 everywhere. Yeah. Like, he's pretty yeah. much just covered in detail, which makes it really hard to know how to direct the yeah. eye. Like, as I feel like as a designer, when, when you want people to look a certain place or feel a different, a certain way, then being able to use composition and, and design in that way to sort of direct the eye is an, an amazing skill. Yeah. Like you have areas of rest that are a little smooth and then you have that next to areas of more high contrast and more detail, you know, that draws your eye because there's contrast there. And I feel this is something you wouldn't really learn if you just learned the software. Like no. if you purely just learn, if you know, purely know how to use ZBrush or how to use Maya or something like that, this is incredibly hard to learn. You just got to go back to basics. Yeah, we uh, had a we had a class with a uh, teacher, Lawrence. Um, such a good teacher. He was really, really. He's a really good teacher. Yeah, he's the was a Batman. He worked on Batman. Yeah, the animated series. Yeah, super badass. Uh, shout out to Lawrence. <laughs> and um, we had this design class with him, where you. <laughs> This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, you, you draw a bunch of spheres and balls and stuff. And you try to make interesting compositions based on just, you know, basic shapes. And one of the ones that stood out, stood out to me the most was like, this is a way of creating contrast, like how to look at something. Mm -hmm. So let's, now I'm just making up an exercise here. Let's say you have a white sheet of paper 
And on that sheet of paper, you, you do like a hundred spheres and they're all black. So mm. a white piece of paper, a hundred black spheres. And then somewhere on the piece of paper, you draw a triangle. Mm. Instantly, you're going to look at the triangle yeah. because it's completely different. That's, mm. that's sort of like the abstract essence of contrast yeah. because you diff- you're making something that's different c- compared to its surroundings. Mm. And that's a good way to draw the eye, I think. Yeah. It's not about using con- it's not about using squares or circles or whatnot. No, it's, it's about no. the contrast between them. Such an important. Yeah, lesson. this is, this is not like a Photoshop contrast node. No, 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 no. no. It's, 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 it's we're like... talking about contrast here in an abstract sense. Yeah. So we we really just can't stress how important. And that that, that can apply for everything. Let's say you're you're jumping into marvelous design and you want to do a dress, mm. right? And you have the top of the dress be more smooth and there's mm. not a lot of detail. And then it goes down into some sort of like, say, diagonal pleated design or something. Now you have a difference in design where mm. you have something that's wavy and contrasty with the non-contrasty smooth stuff at the top. Where you would look there, I don't know. Mm. You look everywhere. But, but at least there was, there was difference though. Like you might, maybe you have 10% of one thing and mm. 90% mm. the other one. I use that a lot when texturing as well. Like oftentimes you're like, oh, you look where the, where the red is, so you just draw red everywhere. But you can also do the opposite. Like let's say every, the entire character is red, and then you have one blue area. Now yeah. I can look at the blue. Yeah. So it's not about what you use. It's not about using red or blue. It's about the differences between them. Yeah. So I use this all the time. Yeah, there was um, oh, oh what's his name? The guy over at Frame Store, texturing. Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. What's his last name? I have no idea. <laughs> Daryl Amazing Texture Man. I, I think he only has one name. <laughs> um, who's a, it was a friend of mine that, that showed me his work originally. And he actually worked there at the same time as me. But I don't think I ever... I, I did run into him once. Yeah, we were doing some pitching work or something. But his stuff, his texturing work and his concepting work is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because he is so good. Exactly that with color. He's so good at using contrast and design within color. Mm-hmm. Just pure color. Uh, to make like variation that just looks so believable yeah. that you go like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes sense. You know, we, even if it's like you have red next to green next to blue, you would think, okay, it just looks like a child's painting. But he, you know, he makes it look really good. Yeah. And that kind of skill, I think, is important. I find that some of the best texture artists I've ever worked with are traditional painters or people with traditional yeah, yeah. background for it, because so much of that is, is how do you understand. I mean, texture is just detail. Yeah. It's like, do you under? How do you understand how you compose the detail? If like, if, like Morton was saying here, like if you just make a good silhouette and has detail everywhere, you're gonna look everywhere or nowhere. You're just <laughs> gonna get confused here. Yeah. So when I'm doing that. I, I like to have like active and passive areas. So, mm-hmm. so maybe the belly is is very soft. The back is incredibly spiky, and even within the spikes as well, you still have contrast. If it has ten spikes on a back, maybe maybe one of them, maybe the top spike is a lot more. It's a lot more contrasty, and the other ones are a lot softer. Yeah. So it's really all about that. So we've been talking about fundamentals now for a while, and uh, <laughs> we can keep on talking about this. They're and important. They are important. They and are really there is important. a reason we're spending 15 minutes talking about fundamentals in the beginning of the video. Yeah. Because if you don't understand them, I mean, you will be struggling with this. You'll be struggling with art. It's not going to feel intuitive or natural. Like it's not like you have to master. Like I, I wouldn't say I've. Like I, I just studied them. Yeah. And you take you take the you take the bits that you feel like you can use. And apply it to what you're doing. Yeah. It's it's not about like okay now you have to be a master colorist. No. And no. okay, I've spent five years just learning human anatomy. It's not about <laughs> that. It's just how to take things from, like people have distilled this kind of information into books and films and so yeah. much. So sort of learn from them. 
and then take what you what you need from that. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't want you to go and spend five years learning traditional painting because you want to become a texture artist. No. <laughs> there are better ways of that, like maybe learning texturing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then doing some painting on the side yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. It's all about complementing this. Yeah. So, um, so moving on from fundamentals, still learning from fundamentals, yeah. is uh, learning, get one main 3D software and learn that really well. This is something I've seen a lot of people do, including myself. This is one of the reasons I bring it up here. <laughs> when I was starting out here is, um, when I was starting out with 3D, I, w- I would try all the 3D software. I think I've tried literally every single 3D software out there, including like Wings 3D and Bryce and all these weird Bryce. ones, Silo and Damn. all these weird old school modeling tools. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I first off I didn't know any fundamentals, so I was like, "Well, I can't do it. Probably the tool is wrong, or like I would watch some mm. tutorial and and I couldn't follow along. Oh, there's probably a bug in my software." Yeah, yeah. So, turns out it's um, it's not a tool. It's <laughs> it's you. <laughs> Sorry to have to break it to you. If you if you're using Maya and you're like, "Oh man, this tool isn't good enough," it's good enough. It's most likely this is just because you aren't experienced enough in the tool or you don't know your fundamentals well enough. Yeah, I mean, there's probably tools that can do one specific thing better than this other tool, For but sure. that's, that's not the point. No, the point here is to have to have like a like one software which you can use use for like the majority of things. Like you can, you can take the project through in this main software and then use other tools to complement it. Mm-hmm. Like my main software is Maya. Not because I really like Maya. It, it, I used mostly just for professional reasons yeah. because we, we had to. <laughs> yeah, we were exactly. school as well. But it's, you can do everything in Maya. If, if, I, if I was starting out today or if I was like, if I had to pick one software, I would probably choose Houdini to be honest. Yeah, yeah Because Houdini, sure. you can do mo- most things you can do in Maya, you can do in Houdini. But you can do so many more things as well. I'm really excited about Houdini. Actually, mm. it's love to learn Houdini. Yeah. For anyone who's asking about Houdini tutorials, we don't know how to use Houdini. <laughs> yeah, that's my. You know, we we set aside some R and D stuff, so maybe we, uh, we yeah. maybe we can get into Houdini. I would really love to learn Houdini yeah, just because yeah. it's such a powerful tool. Yeah. But uh, the point is just make have one main tool, like have one thing you are very comfortable in. Because otherwise you will just require a bunch of different tools and you scatter your knowledge and you spread yourself way too thin. Yeah. So with that said though, learn also specialized tools. <laughs> like keep keep one soft like one main 3D software. And Seabrush is not a main 3D software, guys. Then you become a Seabrush cowboy. We've been talking about this before. <laughs> if if you, if your main software is is Seabrush, there are so many things you can't do. Yeah. Like Retopology. Oh no, but you can use your measure. You can't do retopology in. You can't do proper modeling in ZBrush. Yeah. You need an additional. Oh, modeling but Henry, what about the C modeler? What about if you? What about C modeler? And what about if you use? Um, what if you define the curves for your measure? It's not gonna work, guys. It's not good enough. <laughs> I remember when when C modeler was announced that when it was coming out, there was like a bunch of posts online being like, "Oh, this is the end of traditional modeling," and uh, yeah, it turns uh, out it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like at all. There were guys who were uh, certain certain Facebook groups. They were panicking, saying that with C Modeler coming out, will this will modeling is now so fast and efficient? Will this reduce the amount of modeling jobs? No. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, I mean, ZBrush <laughs> is a fantastic tool. We use ZBrush a lot here. Every just, day. Yeah, yeah. Every pretty much every single day now. And uh, but uh, learn 
another software. Learn a real, <laughs> a real, <laughs> real, a real 3D software. Learn a real, I mean, to be fair, it's not really a 3D software. No, who even knows what it is? Some kind of two and a half D black magic software here. <laughs> That's what they say, at least. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of hate from this. Yeah. And you know who else is going to be hating on this? Oh. Blender. <laughs> the Blender guys. Oh, that's what, yeah, I, was, I was thinking about like interjecting a little bit with the Blender thing when you said like, oh, there's always like a faster tool because every single time Blender 2.9. But I just okay, 2.8. 2.8. Yeah. Sorry, 2.8. 2.9. That's still far away. <laughs> so I'd like just like to just talk a little bit about something I found the other day, mm-hmm. uh, which was <laughs> so I don't know much about Blender. But this was a video of a guy who was very excited <laughs> that Blender now had wireframes. <laughs> yeah, so, you can see wireframe on top of your model. So if anyone can explain what that whole deal is about, because like as far as I know, wireframes is... Uh, I don't know, how long has Maya had wireframes? Forever. Since the beginning of the software. 1960s, I think, around that time. <laughs> so I don't know anything about this, but like if anyone in the comments have any answers to why people are excited about wireframes in Blender, <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, to, to add to this, though, of the tools, which is a proper 3D tool, Blender is a proper 3D tool. Like, out of out of main software, I would, yeah, I would yeah. say, would be would be uh, Blender, um, Maya, 3D Studio Max, uh, Houdini, mm. Cinema 4D, not Modo. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get a lot of hate for this as well, but, like, uh, I wouldn't say Modo is, not a, Modo is not a full suite. Like, not even close to that. Um, we, we, there was... There was definitely some hate on us. There was some flame stuff started <laughs> when we talked about main about 3D software before. Modo is not a full 3D software. It can do a lot of things, and if you're a freelancer, it's fantastic for that. But try to do advanced rigging or a lot of advanced simulation effects and all that. Like it's not even going to be close to that. If you have like if you're let's say you're a concept artist and you do uh, like hard surface modeling mm. kind of thing, it's fantastic. Pairing for that. that Modo with ZBrush is a, and it's an amazing combination. Yeah. You'd be so fast. Yeah. But it's uh, it's not a main. It's no, not exactly. a major one. You need you need an additional tool to complement you there. Uh, so, really, just learn one of the main. So we probably forgot a few as well. Uh, uh, was, was probably someone's probably going to talk about a render engine now. Yeah, or something. Exactly. Why don't you? You're so biased. Yeah. What was that? That was like that was amazing. So we we also we also had some questions about Lightwave because we we, we mm. had a video talking about specific three D software and we did not mention Lightwave. The reason we mentioned Lightwave is because nobody cares about Lightwave today. <laughs> like it used to be one of the main three D tools. It was started in like the late eighties, I believe, and it was a huge three D software at that point. The guys went on to make Modo. The, all the main mm. devs started making Modo, and yeah. uh, Lightwave is still under development, but it's not being used by anyone and then now somebody's gonna be like oh but this one movie used it for the one thing <laughs> yes i'm sure they used it for the one thing here but that's my favorite argument <laughs> yeah. it's like it's not a widely used software but it was used for one project yeah hence it's a widely used software now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had this little blender uh we're saying that don't like blender is not used by major studios oh but what about the man in the high castle and hardcore henry those are two things out of like hundreds of thousands of things. And it's not about like, I, I see this a lot where it's like, um, you have this weird fanboyism. It mm. gets like, I first started noticing, you know, we have like uh, consoles with like Nintendo and Sony mm. and Microsoft. Like, why would you hate on a gaming console? It's, just, <laughs> it's uh, a tool. It's, it's a, a t- it's bunch of wires. And that's the, same, that's the same thing with software. Like, I get that people are passionate about 3D and I get that people like their specific software for We're passionate things. about things. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we were passionate about ZBrush. Oh, yeah, exactly. I love using ZBrush, yeah. but ZBrush is still a stupid tool. <laughs> 
yeah, you know? Um, I recognize that there are lots of flaws in it that makes that that does that I can't use it mm. in a like a real production environment. Yes, I use it for sculpting in a production environment, but you know, I use I need Maya for publishing my models and yeah. you know for the retopology phase. The same thing when you have something like like Blender. Blender is an amazing tool. It's yeah. super fast. I saw they like added some sort of like fluid stuff now. Mm. So it's like Maya doesn't well it has bifrost so i yeah. guess but it's like there are different tools for different needs yeah. and just because we talk about using maya or max or houdini in a production doesn't mean that we're hurting your feelings no. <laughs> you know it's a software like i have no hate or love towards specific software no. whatever tool that helps me in the given situation to get the job done that's what we'll be using I'm going to be switching tools in the future as well. So, of course, I'm not going to be sticking to Maya forever. It's it's a tool. The moment there is something better along, which I can justify spending time, which Houdini might be it. Mm-hmm. Houdini might be the the new thing I'm using here. And but with that as well, like for instance, Houdini doesn't have fantastic modeling tools. It, they're okay, but they're not fantastic. So mm-hmm. I would probably be sticking to um, to Modo and Houdini for that. Yeah. Like I just said, uh, uh, Modo is not a full fledged three D tool. But it doesn't mean it's not a fantastic tool. I love using Moto. And I think people mis- misinterpret that sometimes. Yeah. Like where it's like if you talk about a feature that doesn't isn't particularly good in this software, then all they can hear is, oh my god, he hates the software. Yeah. Just the flame war. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case. We're sparking a glorious flame war. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the comments on this one. <laughs> oh, the internet. Yeah. But, well, you know, you have the same thing with like, let's say you're doing texturing, right? And, and substance is is really, you know, amazing now. Yeah. They they they've added so much technology and they make it so easy for you to really quickly texture stuff. Yeah. And you have that versus Mari. They're they're good for different for different reasons. Yeah. They they can complement each other really well as yeah. well. It's not like you have to use one or are you on mm. team Mari or team yeah. substance? Oh. I'm on team getting the job done. Exa- exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so we yeah, we we've been raging about this for a while as well. Now. But uh, the main the main thing here is use get one main 3D software, learn that well. Mm-hmm. If 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 it is one of the main one, you're you're fine. Uh, and also, one the reason we want you to learn one of the main ones as well is the principles are the same. If we were when we are learning Houdini or Blender or whatnot, sure, there is definitely going to be some some issues with learning it because you know it's it's like learning a new language. Yeah. But if you understand the basics of it. It's just translating the concept you know. It's like if you didn't know what a bridge tool was yeah. when doing 3D, you're not going to know what a bridge tool is in another software. Yeah. Let's say, oh, I need to bridge this. If I go to Houdini, I was like, okay, how do I bridge this? Yeah. So I would know what I'm looking for. The way I like to think about this is that you have a, a, a garage where you have all your tools. It's like a proper 1980s dad garage. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have all your tools, so you know what they all are. And that's like learning. That's like knowing a 3D software. Learning a new 3D software is like somebody takes your tools, they put it in a different garage, and they spread them all over the place. Like it doesn't it. make sense to you, but it's <laughs> all over the place now. There is sure some logic to it, but they're in different places. Yeah. But you just, when you're picking it up, you're just like, huh, where's my hammer? Oh, my hammer is on the hotkey, Alt-F now, or whatnot. <laughs> Before you had that beautiful wall where yeah. you had like outlines of the hammer yeah. on the wall. And... and you know how it works and all that. <laughs> but now it's just in a different place. Yeah. So if, you, if you're going from Max to Maya, which is what we were doing. We both yep, went from yep. Max to Maya I, and from Moto to Maya as well. Uh, it was just about figuring out where the hotkey is now. Figure out where the bridge tool lives. And I mean, sometimes when you go from one software to another, the bridge tool will uh, be terrible. Like in uh, 
what is it? Maya? Yeah. Terrible. Still not fixing it. And also when you when you go from that as well, like it's not, not often that it's not always that they just move the tools. Sometimes you have new tools. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, what is this new m- machine doing on the wall? Yeah. <laughs> so there is definitely some new learning as well, but get one main 3D software and yeah. learn that well. And then as well, uh, on this note as well is learn we briefly talked about this before now, learn specialized tools as well. Like there are specialized tools out there which are just objectively better at what they're doing. Really good example of this here is Marvelous Designer. Yeah. If you know Marvelous Designer and somebody else is trying to do clothing <laughs> using ZBrush or Maya or Encloth or whatever hell it is. You won. You won. You won the game here. <laughs> like it, it's just going to look way better and it's going to be way faster. Yeah. Like I personally haven't, use Marvel Center. I, d- I dabbled a little bit in it as well. But if I were to do clothing right now and I stress for time, I would be like, oh shit, let's do some stuff in ZBrush. Let's take a bunch mm-hmm. of reference pictures and it's just going to be a mess. It might look fine in the end, but it's going to take me hours or days to do. On Morton, who was very good at Marvel Designer, because he did his homework, <laughs> we're just, we're just like, let's look at the fabric, let's make the fabric, mm. and it's just going to work and look way better. Yeah. that And, and that's another... Oh, back to fundamentals. Oh. Um, so, actually, when I was when I was starting out with, with Marvelous, I started to look at real... I don't know these words. <laughs> cloth. It's cloth. Seamstress. I don't, I don't know. You know, as, you know, tailor stuff. Yeah. And that kind of... I think we talked about this before. I think there was like a word difference between... When a man does uh, clothing and when a woman does clothing. I think it's a man tailor and a woman tailor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Regardless, like, I, I actually ended up talking to this, a woman on the train once. She was um, from Romania, mm-hmm. I think. And she had this Romanian book. And there was, like, a lot of amazing references in it. So I was like, I, so, excuse me, on the tube in London. And she, like, looks at me like I'm, like, the demon or something. <laughs> I want to talk to someone. <laughs> on like, the oh, tube? Human contact. <laughs> and I was, like, asking her, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really into fabrics or whatever. And, like you uh, are. <laughs> what's the book you're reading? It must have looked like the weirdest, like, pickup line in the world. But I was legitimately interested in the book. It was a really good book. I can't remember. Something in Romanian. And there's a really good, a lot of good references in there. So, like, that was, like, learning from real life and how to apply mm. it in Marvelous. And that really speeds up the workflow as well. For sure. It, like, it, it's all connected, all mm. these kind of things. If you, and if you... We, we've seen that as well. Like, um, if, if you know how to make real-life clothing, you're going to be so much better yeah. when it comes to, like, Marvelous Honor. Like, you had a lot of... Didn't you have a lot of help from your girlfriend on how to do clothing? Because she'd been doing that. Yeah, yeah. And you just knew a lot about that because <laughs> you'd just been dealing with clothing. Yeah. And suddenly you just know a lot more about that. Well, the way I'm doing it is the stupid way. Take a picture of <laughs> some cloth, brute force it in Maya, and then sculpt the crap out of it in ZBrush. And and in this case here, it's not that I will be doing ZBrush it will look better. No, Morton would also use ZBrush. He would just take it into ZBrush afterwards yeah. and just bash it up there. Like we had um like a, one of the previous premium tutorials we did was Marvelous to ZBrush. Mm. And that was exactly that. And you make the base, you pose it in Marvelous. So mm. you get the super nice quick sim. And then you use ZBrush as a complementary tool yeah. where you add more detail, add more wrinkles. Yeah. So. And, and there is no way in hell you'll be able to get as nice result in no. ZBrush. Like, and because there's also so much unexpected stuff you're oh, getting from. What about alphas? Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> just use alphas. But the thing is, here alphas they would use. You just use them to enhance your. Work. Yeah, yeah. I would use them anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like actually, another thing, but that was surprising when I was um, uh, was doing that fabric pack we did. Mm. And I needed a surface to render on. Mm. 
And I don't really know N-Cloth that well. No. But I know it a little bit. It's like, okay, I'll set up a plane, I'll sim it. I'll, it took forever. And my mm-hmm. computer's fast. And then I thought to myself, why don't I just pull it into Marvelous? Because that's instant. Mm-hmm. I make a fabric plane in Marvelous. I just put it on top of the sphere or whatever. Mm-hmm. Doom, instant fabric. Yeah. And it's not even a t-shirt. It's just I needed something simmed. So I know from now on, if I just need like generic curtain stuff or whatever, I'll just take it into Marvelous because mm. it's so fast. For sure. And also talking about these specialized tools, so special examples of special tools, obviously Marvelous Designer here, but then every single texturing software out there as well. That is a specialized task. The, the, the upcoming one now, which is amazing, is, is Substance Painter. Designer is also great, but Substance Painter particularly because that's easy to use. Yeah. Um, and if, if you if you want to you do everything in Photoshop and you're like a Mayan Photoshop guy, <laughs> sure you can do it but it's way faster and better to do this in, yeah. in painter like painter is incredibly fast to to get results you can just as a starting point you can drag and drop smart materials on mm. it and it's just gonna feel and look so much better and it's gonna be physically accurate as well you don't yeah. really have to well physically plausible you know it's, <laughs> it's all a cheat anyway because we're doing shading on a computer mm. but um Learning specialized tools as well. Same if you if you are doing characters like or like anything organic. If you're sculpting, if you want to make a tree, do it in ZBrush. <laughs> you sculpt it up there, and then you can see your mesh and all yeah. that. You get such nice organic shapes here. So figure out what tools are out there and use them for each for the strength. Or maybe if you're like really into trees, then you use B tree or something. Yes, actually, know. really good point as well. It's cause that's that's the thing. Yeah, like, that's a very even more specialized. That's ve- I mean, I guess that's very specialized. It's like I only make tree. Yeah, it's very good at making speedy trees. <laughs> <laughs> is there like a rock equivalent to speed tree? You have world machine, which is uh, which is not, yeah. not so much for, for rocks. Like mountains. Yeah, that's more for like world building. I used to use that with like the erosion and stuff just mm. to play around with it. Such cool tools. Yeah. So let's say you are an environmental artist here now, and or you want to do some environments. Tools like Speed Tree are fantastic. So you have the first, the first thing here. The slowest way is model it up in Maya, and then like maybe use some particle system to like scatter around or just duplicate them around. Yeah. Is is not you have to make all the trees by yourself and not a lot of individual variation in them. And particularly if you don't have fundamentals, you're just mm. going to be not necessarily looking at trees. You're just going to be. I know how to make a tree, and yeah. you just make the most <laughs> generic tree in the world, and it's just not going to look very good. The second uh, the second thing here you could do is you can make it a ZBrush, make it nice and organic, really look at reference, make some proper bespoke trees and just make them super tight. That That's good, but it's slow. Yeah. But if you t- use tools like speed trees, specialized tools for that, you can populate an entire forest very quickly. Yeah, and then you use speed tree with Houdini to scatter mm. stuff. You know, it's exactly. Just... Using tools for their strengths. Yeah. That's what that's what uh, we've been using so much in London VFX for the last few years. Because essentially, if you were a modeler or environmental artist in London between 2014 and 2017, you did trees. <laughs> we had a Jungle Book. Uh, uh, then we had Jungle Book at Framestore, the, the, yeah. the Mowgli one, where all the animals look super weird. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, yeah, sorry if, if you're working on that listening. We know it's the art direction. We know we, the- we know it's not your fault. We know the pain. We know the pain. I was a frame store at the time. Yeah. yeah it's not I good. wasn't working on the film, but oh my. There oh, was... it's not great. Fundamentals, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but the, and then there was Tarzan, and then oh, there, was, yeah. there was Lion King being in production right now, and then you also have just all other tools. So yeah. Speed Tree it was just a lifesaver for And all that. those had rocks as well? Yes. 
Yeah, I did. I did rocks. <laughs> yeah, I did rocks for like six months. I think mm, gods of Egypt represented. Oh, uh, represent. Yeah. <laughs> so if no, if you've seen the uh, gods of Egypt, Egypt, uh, or if you haven't, you should definitely go watch it. Yeah, you should definitely go watch gods. Of Egypt. And if you ju- if you don't want to watch the whole film, just just Google uh, gods of Egypt um, Minotaur fight scene because <laughs> that is that is some rank looking stuff. <laughs> It's not great, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It looks like previous, which is kind of... Yeah, this is what happens when you don't become really good at one thing. You end up with the Minotaur fight scene from Gods of Egypt. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, was pretty so, bad. So with these specialized tools as well, we would do recommend what Morton was just alluding to here. Become good at one thing. Mm. Really just figure out... Have a generalist skill set where you know you know Maya pretty well. You can do most things in Maya. But then get one thing where they just know that you're good at that. Yeah. Like if you... It might be scripting or organic modeling or it could be simulation, animation, whatnot. But you have a base. At this point, you have a base in the fundamentals. You have a base with a ma- major 3D software, including Blender. <laughs> but now you're also specializing as well. This yeah. just means you can become incredibly valuable. And this specialization, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be that you become the best person in the world. This means you can do it fairly well. Yeah. And like, like what do you have more than that? It's like, um, like marvelous designer. That's a huge competitive advantage of it as well. Yeah. We're obviously also specialized when it comes to like organic modeling. That's what we've been doing for like the last years. Mm. I mean, as creature modelers, that was just kind of our thing. Yeah. But we could also do. We also had a foundation as a generalist, because once they need somebody with a specialized skill set. You you just become really valuable. I mean, yeah. from a financial point of view, it's supply and demand. There's a lot of there's a lot of demand for it. Not a lot of supply for it. Then, I mean, over the last couple of years, I've I've really moved away from from general listing. Mm. You know, because I <laughs> I think that's the word. Yeah, I just like modeling and sculpting. Yeah, and it's like it's for it's like not the best strategy for staying employed. <laughs> I'll tell you that, but. I don't know. I'm just stupid. I'm like I don't. I don't like to do texturing. So. But then again, though, the strategy was wasn't just uh, I'll become mediocre model. No, no, that's like true. it's like if you, when you do specialize, or let's say you realize you only want to do one thing, mm-hmm. which in your case was was modeling, was building shapes. Yeah. You become really damn good at it. Yeah. Uh, but but you still have a base in general 3D mm, as well, like lighting true. and like all the. I did lighting, rendering, uh, effects, uh, bunch of different bunch things. Of stuff, you know so. So if you do want to specialize fully, just become damn good at that one mm. thing as well. Yeah, because like I mean, I think the the main point about being specialized is like if you if you want to do one thing, like from experience, <laughs> I could tell you if you want to do one thing, you just have to be really good at one thing, yeah. and you gotta love it as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it sucks to spend a few years on one thing specializing and you realize oh, I don't really like it. Yeah, and with everything, you know, like if you're specializing in one thing, there will be times where you get just boring tasks. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta make that digi double, and you just gotta fix that toe. Yeah. And that's that's all you do for the next three weeks. Model the rocks. <laughs> model the rocks. Yeah. You're the modeler, so you're like, oh yeah, he can do rocks, right? Yeah, because yeah. that's kind of your job as modeler. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you want to start to branch out, especially if you're new as well, I think if you started off, probably you start off doing one thing. But I would make it clear to whoever is your lead, your supervisor, whatever, make it clear to them that you have an interest in something else as well. Oh, you're a teacher. Yeah, we're a teacher. Like if you're just doing modeling, let's say I have an interest in texturing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd really love to get into texturing. Then, you know, start doing some texturing on the side and show what you can do. Yeah, for sure. Everything is also connected in 3D as well. Like if if you're doing modeling as well, you're not just by yourself as the modeler. You have 
before you're in production, you often have a concept artist. You could also be the concept artist, depends. But uh, you often have a concept artist who will give you something. And you have to understand where it's coming from. So there is it's a good idea to learn some concepting. And then uh, after you, or parallel to, you have you have a you have a texture artist. Mm. And what you give to them, you you will also like will will just be dependent on how well you know texturing. Like if you know if you know texturing you just have a better idea of how your UVs should be laid out and also like the blend between modeling and texturing. Yeah. Sometimes it's far easier to do something in, in texturing than it is in modeling and vice versa. Like we just did some videos over the last few weeks now showing how we've been doing details for, for high-level characters mm. for, for, for movies. Yeah. It's all in Mari. It's all in Mari. And then it's, but then you would take it into ZBrush as well. So it's like a blend between them. And this is hard to... It's hard to figure this workflow out if you only know one tool. So if you if you have a more general skill set, yeah, you're just gonna be able to be more more dynamic. And I think one of the issues there is that can arise is like the fanboyism we talked mm. about earlier. Like Henning and I work with a douche at some point. I'm not gonna <laughs> mention any names here, but we work with a guy at some point who um, he just hated Mari. Like, I have no idea why. He just hated it. He never used it, I think. He just hated it. And the thing is, like... It's for, softer. It's so yeah, weird. I don't know. And, like, he, you know, he was insisting that he wanted to do everything in ZBrush. Mm. And that's cool. You know, you want to do sculpting and stuff. But for the the tasks that we were doing, it just didn't make any sense. No. Like, it, would, it was a day task in Mari, but it would take a week to do in ZBrush. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't, like, this weird pure standard of, like, oh, you can only do this one thing in this mm. one software. No, 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 no. Whatever is faster, that's how you do it. Yeah. Get the job done, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so so closing off this video now, we've been going for a while now. <laughs> so, <laughs> rating of a blender and all these kind of <laughs> rating of a ZBrush. Mostly, pretty pretty regular flipped almost video at this point. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It's just, like, it, sometimes it just verges off. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but the main point here is, it's really just to sum this up though, before we, before we exit, is fundamentals, mm. all about the fundamentals. And cause, cause then you're, then you're time resistant. Yeah. Then, then new innovation is not going to mean that you, you don't know how to do your job anymore or that you rely on tools. So, fundamentals never change. No, no, they, they will, that's kind of the point of them. Yeah. Human anatomy hasn't changed in the last 200,000 years or whatnot. <laughs> Color theory hasn't changed. So you're good. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Unless something drastic changes and we all have crazy mutations, yeah. you're good. Fundamentals, they don't change. Uh, so it's it's an investment. Mm. Fundamentals will really be an investment for your entire career. Even if you're, if, like we say career, even if you're a hobbyist or whatnot, they will just serve you so well. Learn one main 3D software well as a starting point. Yeah. Have a foundation in that. And uh, then use specialized tools where they make sense. And then also get one thing which which kind of sets you apart from from other people as well. Uh, become specialized in something. And let me be clear here as well that being a generalist is also a speci speciality. It just means that you can now take a, a lot of stuff through in a very efficient manner. Like yeah. it means that you, as a generalist here, you might be really good at like 50, 60% at all the things here. So being a generalist is also sort of a specialist a speciality. Yeah, and also I, th I think it makes you generally more hireable because there's probably more smaller studios as yeah. well that would be looking to hire a generalist, and then you can always specialize after yeah. that. You can always branch out from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 
So with all this said, we really hope you enjoy this video. Mm, yeah, this was, oh, this is a long one. Yeah, this is a long one. <laughs> so I guess if you want to see more long videos like this in the future, <laughs> make sure to like, comment and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, thanks for listening in. Thanks guys.